And uh, let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. Um, in particular tonight, I, I'm going to kind of start, I'm taking kind of a hierarchical approach towards this teaching. And uh, I'm, so I'm going to actually not be talking so much about manhood um, uh, as much as I am going to be talking about a husband. So tonight's subject will be focused towards men, but in particular, uh, being a husband. And so um, let's, let's just get right into this. Genesis chapter 2 and verse number 24. Somebody say amen when they have it. Amen. Please keep your Bibles out. Get ready to read. And uh, I want everybody to, this is a sword drill tonight. So uh, I, I have all these verses here, but I want you to read them. So. All right, let's go. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. Who's got that? Praise God. Genesis chapter 2. Sister Louise, if you have that. Therefore, shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. All right. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave to, unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So... For a minute, I actually contemplated uh, letting everybody, uh, I was going to make some phone calls tonight and actually say, okay, you know what, let's, let's do only men tonight. And then tomorrow we could do something more geared towards the women. But um, I actually didn't decide against that, and I'll tell you why. Um, because, quite frankly, men and women need each other. Amen. All right? Now, I will say this. There's probably some things that people are going to say, well, you didn't talk about this, you didn't talk about that, you didn't talk about this, you didn't talk about that. There's several things I'm not going to discuss because there are women present. So this is like the edited version because there are some things that I, that I would not discuss in a mixed crowd that are pertinent to being a good husband. Um, and so, but I do believe, now this is not to say that you cannot be a healthy, well-adapted adult if you never get married. However, however, there is a certain kind of person that we do not become outside of marriage. There's a certain, there, there are certain qualities that we will never take on outside of marriage. And, you know, a lot of people ask me, like, should I get married or should I not get married? Um, this is probably not the best answer, but I will say this. I, I, I always tell people it depends on what you want to be. The question is not whether or not I should get married. The question is, what kind of person do you want to be? Because there's a certain kind of person you can never be outside of marriage, and vice versa. After you get married, there's a certain kind of person you should never be again. Yeah. Right? And the married people say, "Amen, hallelujah." Yeah. And 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 so there's only there's certain aspects and qualities of life we only see through the lens of marriage, and living with the person, and having children with the person. Etc. You, we understand this, and so. But um, I will say this: that it is, it is not possible for. Uh, there are certain uh, phases of being a husband, of even manhood, and even boyhood, for that matter, that are that require a woman's influence. Amen. Yeah, come on, everyone say amen, hallelujah. Yeah, at least the women say amen, hallelujah. So, um, but. Becoming a man requires the support and the admonition uh, and the admonishment, I should say, uh, of women. Yeah. All right. But what I what I will discuss and the reason I do think it's good that the women are here 
is because I think it's important for women to know what that support and what that admonishment looks like from the biblical sense. And so when we talk about the influence that a woman should have in a boy, in a man, and even in a husband's life, I think it's important that we also understand that there is a biblical model of influence. So we don't want to just influence people in whatever way we feel is, is appropriate. We, we want to do it in the most biblical way possible. Amen? And so we will look a little bit at that. And uh, there's other areas I'm not going to talk about. And I'll be very frank and honest with you because I'm still working on them as a husband myself. And so I could get up here and just start spitting out a bunch of verses and scripture and concepts. But really, I'd rather be practicing them first before I preach them to you. Right? Because uh, I don't want you to sit in my office, not that I have one. Uh, I don't want you to come into my office one day and tell me, hey, you preach this, but you don't do this. So I would rather, I would rather get my A game going, and then, uh, and then I'll preach it to you. Amen? But uh, for the meanwhile, let's, let's look at what the Bible has to say, and, um, and let's get going. So it's critical that we first establish what's going on in this text that we just read. The person who declared that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife is Adam. This is Adam talking. Everyone say Adam. Adam. I have made the mistake, and some of you have made it. In fact, today I was discussing this text with somebody, and they made the mistake of thinking this is God speaking. This is not God speaking. This is Adam speaking. Now, I would venture to tell you this is God speaking through Adam. All right? But in my, in my opinion, what Adam is saying um, or expressing is the Bible's golden standard. This is the Bible's ideal. This is not a commandment that a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. This is not a commandment. This is the Bible's golden standard. Okay? But it is a very significant golden standard. And the reason we know that is because Jesus, I think in Matthew and Mark, later on, Paul and Corinthians, they quote this exact verse. So they take what Adam is saying as God speaking through Adam. But I can tell you that it is not a commandment from God, but it is the Bible's golden standard. I'd say it's the Bible's platinum standard. All right? And so um, this, however... And, and there's several examples in the Bible where the Bible lays out its golden standard and it lets you know that it's not a commandment. And I'll, I'll even give you examples of this. But for a man to structure his life differently does not make him a sinner. So if a man is not doing this, he is not a sinner. If he is married and lives with, and, and I really, I'm gonna, I, will, I will say this, um, Adam said, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. And I actually do believe that that is intentional. That he is saying, as a man, I'm going to leave my parents to cleave to my wife. And I do believe, this is my personal opinion, and I have talked to very scholarly people about this, and I've heard very scholarly teaching on this, that the reverse is not necessarily true. Right, So that a woman can remain close to her parents and that proximity and that relationship can actually be very strong. In fact, much stronger than it would be allowed to a man. Yeah. But uh, we, let's go past that. 
if a man is living with his parents or his wife's parents, that does not make him in violation of biblical text. He is not sinning. What he is doing is living beneath the golden standard or the platinum standard or whatever you want to call it, right? And therefore, he can expect less than platinum results, right? If I know the Bible's advice and I do something differently, if the Bible says, this is the this is the ideal, and I do something differently, then I could expect less than idealistic results. Right. Right. Yeah. Right? But the Bible is full of examples where the gold standard is laid out, but not as a commandment. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12. You can go there now if you want to. You don't have to. But 1 Corinthians 7, 12, the Apostle Paul is speaking about marriage, remarriage, divorce, widows, etc. And in the middle of that, he says something very interesting. He says, speak I, not the Lord. And later on, the Apostle Paul even talks about things such as, um, all things are lawful to me, but they are not expedient. In other words, I can do a, a, a wide range of things, but they're not expedient. They're not, they're not good. He goes on to say, and they're not for edification. In other words, I could get away with this. I could do this and not be sinning, but it wouldn't be, I wouldn't get the best results. So this is, a, and I want, I want to say this because I don't want anybody who may be in a different situation than the Bible's golden standard to feel condemned or to feel bad or to feel like they have something that they got to like hit the altar about before I'm even done teaching. Um, and I want you to know that sometimes life, life has a ton of variableness. Like there's a ton of var variousness that can happen. And um, um, I mean, you can get hit by a car and you have to go live with your mom and dad because like you cannot work and your mom just loves you to death and she's going to support you as you're crippled and try to make your way back to finding a job. And, but right now you've got oxygen tubes hooked up to you and your family. And this happens. Right? This happens. You can lose your job. I mean, your boss can swivel his chair and decide you don't mean anything to him. And all of a sudden, you got you still have a mortgage. And it seems more like you just got a morgue than a mortgage. And you're going to go down. And, and you have to make... Life happens. Life happens. And so I don't want anybody here to feel condemned when life happens to them. But let's always keep the gold standard before our eyes. Let's always realize that the Bible has an ideal. All right. Now, there are several examples where generations of families live under one roof via the husband's consent. All right. Um, now, I'm, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to drop names here. Right. So there's cultures. There's cultures that practice generational living. Right. There's there's cultures that practice generational living where the whole family lives under one house, one roof. Grandma, parents, kids, grandkids, whatever. Everyone's living under one roof. And they operate like that almost the whole way through life. Okay? Um, this, is not, this is not a sin, right? But I do, want, I do want to point out three things. There's three reasons why people usually do this. Number one, cultural. That's their culture. That's what they do. But if that is your culture, you're still beneath the golden standard. Right? It doesn't matter whether I, what, what, what my culture is. It doesn't matter if that's all they do in Mexico. My, my standard is not to achieve Mexicanness, right? My standard is to reach the Bible's golden standard, right? And mind you, when Adam was saying this, he was no race. He was a pure human being 
untapped by sin. He lived in a paradise, just him and his girl. You know what I mean? He was just, he didn't, he had never seen a bad movie. He had a pure conscience. He was, there's nobody more pure than Adam at this moment than the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and Adam with a very pure heart gives us insight and foresight. He's speaking profoundly. And, um, but, but let me say this. My objective is not to reach my culture's ideal. My objective is to reach the biblical ideal, right? And so there are some cultures where this is embraced, like we are all going to live together. They do that for cultural reasons. Number two, they do that for economic reasons. And, they, and even more so when they come to America, because here in America, you pay for child care. And I, I, I know of more than one example where somebody in their country was very wealthy, even had servants. And they come here and they are the servant. <laughs> in fact, my wife the other day uh, visited a lady from my, from my daughter's Christian school who comes from another country. And she, she was telling them, she was like, man, when we lived in our country, we had servants that washed our clothes, washed our kids for, you know, pennies on the We were wealthy over there. We come here, I'm washing clothes. I'm watching kids. And so the dynamics shift, but so we can see where economic reasons, grandma is a lot cheaper. Than, I don't even know where you would hire. I mean, I guess you can hire nannies these days, right? But most nannies are not going to wash your clothes, and they cost an arm and a leg, you know? And uh, few people can afford that. We are talking now, we're going way up the pay scale for you to be able to afford someone here in the United States of America that's going to wash your kids, wash your clothes, wash your feet, you know, whatever, take them to school, do, that does, you know, right, but grandma, grandma, or, you know, grandma and grandpa, who may come with you from your country, are more than willing to do that, because they would do that in their country anyways, so there's the cultural factor, there's the economic factor, which really becomes, in the end, blurred with the cultural factor, and the third factor, which we already discussed, is poor health, somebody's health deteriorates, and then they have to live as a whole unit. We're still beneath the biblical standard, the, the Bible's golden standard, right? We're still, and so we can expect less than ideal results. Is this fair? Are we doing good? Is, you guys still love me? Hallelujah. All right. But, uh, but, but let, me, let, me, let me drop this in there. Um, and and I, don't, I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but let me drop this in there. So... I, I, for example, if I was living with my son-in-law, I, I, my interest would be way more in my daughter than in my son-in-law. I, I wouldn't really be watching my son-in-law so much for, you know, how he ties his shoes as much as like, you better not hit my daughter, right? <laughs> this is right, right? Like, guys, you know this, if you were living at home, right, and but let me say this, if I lived with my dad, can I tell you that my dad would tell me how to tie my shoes, not to hit my wife, how to take out the garbage, how to iron my shirt, because my dad feels way more invested in me than my father-in-law would. My father-in-law's interests are in his daughter, in his grandchildren. His interests in me are that I'm, I'm providing for them, taking care of them. But if I were to live with my dad, I am telling you right now, I love my dad. I hope he does not hear this. I think he Googles me once in a while. Dad, I love you. But my dad would have no end to the stuff he would be telling me to do every day. And this is why I do believe Adam said a man will leave his father. And let me tell you, if my 
beautiful, godly wife had to live with my mother, she would be telling my wife, not my mom, I don't know about my mom, but, but you know, you know, your mom would sneak up on your wife and tell, tell her how, how you like your potatoes and you're burning. I mean, he don't like them like that. And you know, he likes the socks ironed and you're just never going to take care of him like I did. You know what I mean? Can, can I get some ladies to help me out? Hallelujah. And because let's just be honest, like we all know, like the daughter is daddy's daughter and the boy is mama's boy. Right. Right. Let's just be honest. Let's not do any, you know, there's just something about a boy in a woman's life. She just, she's going to love that boy. And there's something about daddy's little girl. Right? Come on. You guys are getting quiet on me. The, the Alameda library is closed already. Hallelujah. You guys can hallelujah preach. Hallelujah. There's just, there's those dynamics. There's those interests that are very uh, paradoxical. They're even counterintuitive, but they're very real. They're very real. They're, they're just very real. So I could see now why Adam specifically said, I got to get out of my parents' house. So let's, let's go back. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, 24. Uh, the statement that Adam makes here is, again, very insightful. It has insight and foresight. Genesis 2, 24. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife. And let me just say this. Um, a man leaves his home. A man leaves his home when he's ready to cleave to a wife. That's when a man leaves his home. When he doesn't just leave his home to leave his home. Now, I would say, bro, if you're like 30, yeah, leave anyways. Whether you're like, <laughs> whether you're ready to get married or not, you need to leave. Like you gotta go. Um, but if you're, if uh, you know, if you're 20. If you're 22, 23, uh, if you're still kind of like getting there, we discussed this if you were in our adulthood class, and I do believe the Bible makes a great number. The Bible, the Bible does say that the age of accountability for a man is 20. I do believe 20 is a great age to start getting ready, you know, for life. <laughs> um, but, but it's best that a man leave his home when he's ready to cleave to a wife. Because there's just, there's good accountability factors at play there. Um, I can tell you that when I, I was 18 years old, um, God dealt with me. And I'm going to bring myself up a lot for the sake of bringing nobody else up. But when I was 18 years old, God really dealt with me. And God told me, get out of, get out of your mom's house. This was a big deal because my parents are divorced. And so my mom had like raised me and like done her best to make sure that I somehow made it into adulthood that I even survived long enough to become adult because I was in and out of jail. I was in trouble. I was constantly just risking my life, doing all kinds of crazy things. My mom was just so happy that I made it to 18. And here I come at 18 and I tell her, I'm moving out. You know, I got the Holy Ghost and all of a sudden, like I wanted a job. And I felt like paying my own bills. And I thought, man, I can iron my shirt just as good as my mom can. It's amazing what the Holy Ghost will do. And, uh, and I remember telling my mom, I'm moving out. And she was like, well, where in the world are you going? You know, like, you, you're like, in a very nice mom way. She was like, you're kind of useless. Like, where would you be without me? Like, where are you going? And, uh, 
And so, but I told her, no, I'm, you know, I'm going out. Like, this is the will of God. And I went and I lived at the church and I, I prayed and I went, I was hungry several nights. And uh, you can't tell by looking at me, but there's times I didn't eat. And there was, uh, there was struggles and I cried a lot. And um, I didn't, I, I, I figured out that I do not fold my clothes as nice as my mom. And I can't make a better sandwich than her. But here I am today. Hallelujah. A man. Hallelujah. Uh, living with my wife. And I'm married. And I'm all right. Hallelujah. And she makes a great sandwich. Praise God. And uh, she takes care of me. <laughs> but, but, but I'm just saying, it worked out. Did I struggle? Absolutely. Um, was there days I wish I could have called my mom and asked her I could go back home? Absolutely. Was there days I was dead broke and wanted to beg my mom for money? Absolutely. Did I do it? Absolutely not. Because I said either God is big enough to take care of me or he's not. Hallelujah. And guess what? I found out he's big enough to take care of me. Hallelujah. So Adam tells us that a man shall leave. And here we go, gentlemen. He shall leave, not forsake. He shall leave, not forsake. I think if a man, I, I don't think a man should ever forsake his parents. That in fact, that is a violation of the fifth commandment, to honor your mother and father. And you should never forsake your parents. My, my, I, I, I'm working on this. I'm, I'm, I've been bad the last three months. Jamie will shout amen. But she has to remind me, like, call your mom. Like, I called your dad on his birthday. Did you know it's his birthday? And I'm like, oh, man, I, thanks for calling. <laughs> but I, I am not, I'm not okay to forsake my mom and dad. I do have to leave home. I got to get out of the nest. But I do have to call my mom. And I do have to call my dad. And I have to bestow honor on them. Hallelujah. I have to check up on them. I have to tell them I love them. Um, I, I have to call them and, and let them know I don't need anything. I just need our relationship to stay healthy. I'm not calling you because I need money. I'm not calling you because I need you to watch my kids. I'm not calling you for whatever. I'm just calling you to tell you I love you, Mom. Thank you, Dad. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm telling you right now, my parents, in my opinion, right, they could have done everything different, so much better. But, the, but that's irrelevant, right? That's, not, that's between them and God now. I'm, I'm a grown man. I don't need to cry on over spilt milk and water under the bridge, right? I'm not, God did not tell me, forget about your parents, forsake your parents. What did he tell me? To leave my, my, my parents. And really, in modern translation, it, it just get out the house, right? That's just, that's just real modern, good English. So, however, um, I do think that it's important for a man uh, to carefully ponder what is going to take, uh, what it's going to take for him to be the best husband possible. I wholeheartedly agree with Adam that this begins with leaving his father and his mother. In order for a man to become a good husband and a father to his children, uh, he, he has to know when it's time to leave a particular stage in his life. Um, how many people here have flown on a plane to stay at a hotel? Right? How many people here have flown on a plane to stay at a hotel? The plane got you to the airport. It did not drop you off at your hotel. Right? You don't want your plane to drop you off at the hotel. It would be disastrous. And why am I saying that? Because in every journey, there's different vehicles that help us get through that journey. So the airplane takes us from here to there. We get off the plane. What do we do? We get a rent-a-car. We get in that rent-a-car. We drive. 
how do we get to the hotel? We walk in. We don't drive the car into the hotel, right? So there's different vehicles. We go from plane to car to feet. And, and life is the same way. Life is the same way. You've got to know when you're off the plane. You've got to know when you're in the car. You've got to know when it's time to walk. You have to, you have to be sensitive like, okay, that stage, that phase is over. I'm now in the vehicle stage. That, this is now done. I'm now in the walking stage. I've I, I got to make those transitions. And so in order for a, for a man to be a good husband, he has to realize, I'm, I'm, I'm now, I'm out of the transition of being under mom and dad's shadow. I'm out of that transition now, and I have to come under a different shadow. I have to come under a different set of rules, a different set of guidelines, a different set of, of possibilities, and a different set of hindrances. And I have to be sensitive to that. I have to be sensitive now to my wife's needs, not my mother's needs. Right? So, like, now, and, and, and I'll be very honest with you. Like, I don't know why it happened. It's happened with just about every man I know. Every man I know. Like, right before I got married, I did. I had a pretty big falling out with my mom. But, like, I look at it now. I didn't like the fact that me and her went through it. But what it really was was her letting me go, me telling her I was leaving. We, now, we used other words. <laughs> but... But, but essentially what was happening was we were hashing that out. And she was released. My, my mom loves Jamie. She loves Jamie. But she was releasing me to Jamie. But she was, by the time the argument was done, was like, Mom, I'm leaving. She's like, don't come back. And I'm like, great, I'm getting married. I'll see you July 7, 2007. And that, that's really kind of how it, now today, it, it's all love. It's great. It's wonderful. But we had to have that, that wrestling match. We had to have that wrestling match. And it settled a ton of stuff. And, it, and, and you know what? It did make my marriage easier. My mother, I, Jamie will test it. My mother has never called her and told her anything about how to raise our kids, how to cook my potatoes, nothing. No, she, Jamie don't get those phone calls. And so that, there has to be that separate. Gentlemen, be sensitive. When, when you're off the plane, get in the car. When you're off the car, start walking. Hallelujah. But just know, I'm out of that phase. I'm out of that transition. Different set of rules. And if I try to take the plane to the hotel, I'm going to blow the place up. This is great. Hallelujah. All right. So humanity for thousands of years practiced what we called rites of passage, right? So uh, I'll just go through a very one that we probably were all familiar with. is like the bar mitzvah, right? The Jewish people practice what's known as the bar mitzvah. But whether you're talking about African tribes... Uh, Semitic tribes, uh, it doesn't matter where, where in the world. Most cultures, except for Western cultures, practice the rite of passage. Hispanics, we have the quinceanera. Filip uh, the Filipinos have quinceaneras too. These are, these are not just big parties, people. These are rites of passage. Right. If you go back for, far enough into the quinceaneras past, what, what the parents are really saying is, she's ready to be married now. Now, we wouldn't marry off a 15-year-old today, but back in the day, it was like when people only lived to 40, you're ready to go. Because you're going to be dead in about 27 years, so like, you better come get it. But like, for instance, in, in, in the Hebrew culture, they practice what's known as the bar mitzvah. Bar, bar means son. 
Mitzvah means commandment. So Bar Mitzvah means son of the law, son of the commandment. And the minute a child, a young man, does the Bar Mitzvah, he is now an active member of the community. He is now responsible to participate in the community. He has to obey the commandments of God. And at a certain age, he can even be part of a judicial system where they judge the members of that community. You were not allowed... And, and historically, there has never been a culture that allowed you to meander around as like a big adult or as a big child, I should say. So in most cultures, whether you liked it or not, this day you are an adult. She is ready. <laughs> like whether you liked it or not, you're gone. Like at that age, it was called a rite of passage. Right? And really, you you didn't have much rights. You were just being told, like, <laughs> right on you go. So, but, but people were not forced to do this, like, extended adolescent thing. Where they're, like, 20, 25, 26, at mom's house, at dad's house, playing video games, driving mom's car, asking mom for rides, eating mom and dad's groceries. Like, that was not allowed. You became an adult and you were gone. I mean, you go further. So like I'm 38, right? Those of you that are probably 30, you could probably remember like you had a job at 15. <laughs> right? Like I had a job at 15. Like I worked at, I had several jobs at 15. I mean, I did everything from flip pizza to throw newspapers to you name it. I scalped concert tickets. I did, I just, at my house, we had a quinceanera Ferrari. And I was like, I was gone. Like you were going to go work. But now I'm just, and I'm not trying to play the old man here, all right? But I am shocked at like the millennial attitude. The millennial attitude of like, man, I'm like 20 going nowhere. Quick. Right? And I'm going to pursue my passions. We'll pursue your passions, but pay the bills. Pursue the passions, but we're not giving you a ride. Well, I'm still teaching really good tonight. <laughs> and, 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 and like community and contribution was key, right? This rite of passage, you were now contributing, you were now uh, part of the community, and you were responsible. And, uh, and, and, and that is slowly diminishing. And so how, how, how now do I become a man, a husband, um, if I don't have a rite of passage? If we're not going to have a big party for me, if we're not going to do the ceremony, what do I do? Well, I, I, I initiate that now. I myself take it upon myself and I initiate this. What? So you might be asking yourself at this point, like, wow, like, how does this get to unwavering love? I'm telling you, gentlemen, the only way we can have an unwavering love for our wife is when we do everything in our power to only be with our wife, to live with our wife, amen, to separate ourselves for the sake of our wife, amen. That's the only way when your wife is, when you, and who, Genesis 2, 18, who's got that? Genesis 2, 18, watch this. Gen Genesis 2.18, and then give me Genesis 2.20. From 2.18, skip over to 20. Who's got 2.18? And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help me for him. All right, read 20. And Adam gave names to all the cattle, and to the fowl of the air, and to every beast of the 
Amen. Everyone say, help me. So God, God looks, God looks at Adam. He says, it is not good for man to be alone. He says, he needs to help me. And this is actually kind of interesting what God does. He brings him all the beasts of the field. He brings him all the animals, the cows, the cats, the emus, the ostriches, the foxes, the coyotes, everything. And what's the verse say? And there was not found to help meet for Adam. A pet is not a substitute for a wife. A dog is not a substitute for a wife. Tropical fish is not a substitute for a wife. A cat, a house full of cats, is not a substitute for a, for a wife. There is nothing that takes the place of a wife. This is what the scripture is saying. The, God looked at every other living, sentient being and said, Adam, let's see, let's see how sensitive you are, Adam. Let's just see how insightful you are. I'm going to bring every exotic animal before you. You want a tiger? You can have a tiger. You want an emu? You can have it. You don't even know what an emu is. You want an emu? You can have an emu. You want a, you want a, 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 a kukaracha? You can have that. And, and, and Adam, I want to see. And you know what? Adam petted the tiger. He slapped the emu, you know, did whatever. And he figured out, you know what? None of this, none of this does it for me. None of this. None. And you know, I'm telling you that because we are living in a world today where people, people, men and women, outsource their loneliness onto animals. And they say, you know what? I'm going to go fill my house up with cats. I'm going to go buy me a dog. I'm going to keep exotic fish tanks in my house. And you know, you know what you need to do? You need to go get you a wife. Because there is no substitute for a wife. Your dog will not support you like your wife does. Your cat will not support you like your wife does. Exotic tropical fish will not support you. This is Bible, people. I'm not like outside the book. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you this. I remember when I was single. I remember when I was single. And if you've heard me preach, you've heard me say this. I remember when I was single and I was driving from Oakland to Redwood City, California. I was crying. Because I had been single so long. And I remember telling myself as I was driving over the San Mateo Bridge, I told myself, I said, I need a dog. <laughs> I'm so lonely. I'm tired of this. I'm going to go buy a dog. And I, I mean, like, I'm telling you, I got out of my car crying. Crying. And I sat in my living room thinking about the kind of dog they would allow in my apartment. <laughs> And in the middle of my crying and in the middle of thinking about Doberman Pinchers and mini schnauzers and whatever, I stopped and I said, I don't even like dogs. <laughs> and I said, I'm not getting a dog. You know what I said? I, I have it on a calendar. I, I still have it to this day. I said, I am going to fast for seven days. Until God shows me who my wife is. I'm going to fat. I'm telling you at the end of seven days, I promise you, God told me, go call Jamie Harris. Amen. And ask her, amen, to be your wife. And I did. I was done fasting seven days. I went and picked up my wife. I still remember. We went to Pete's Coffee. Hallelujah. And I'm married today. Amen. But I said no to the dog. I said no to the cats. I said no to the fish. I said yes to Jesus. Hallelujah. And, I, and my wife said yes to me. Hallelujah. And it all worked out. But you, you got to understand, there's nothing that can take the place of God's design. There's nothing that can substitute, amen, a spouse. There's nothing that can take the place of God's plan. Somebody shout amen. Hallelujah. Is this good? Is this okay? We're almost done. Hallelujah. All right, 1 Corinthians 13 and 11. I'm going to talk just for a few more seconds, and we're almost done. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 11. The Apostle Paul here gives us 
uh, some, some very, I want you to know right now, before anybody judges me for this, I, this is, I am preaching this outside of its original intended context. The Apostle Paul here, I don't, I'm just going to clarify, is not talking about manhood. He's actually making an illustration regarding manhood and spiritual gifts in operation and etc. But he does give us great insight into how he perceived manhood, and I think it's great advice. All right? So 1 Corinthians 13, 11, who's got that? 1 Corinthians 13, 11. All right. So look here. Paul says, I spake as a child. I thought as a child. And I reasoned as a child. Or I understood is what King James is saying. So number one, I spake as a child. My speech and my form of communication was undeveloped. That's what children are. They have undeveloped speech and communication. That's, in fact, that's what I'm not going to get into. But that is a child. That's how children talk. If they talk. Children sometimes get mad and don't talk. I thought as a child. That word thought right there in Greek means sentiments and opinions. In other words, in other words, my opinion of life was childish. What is a childish opinion of life? One thing children do is they place high value on worthless things. Like super high value. Right? So, like, that toy is worth taking your sibling's head off for. Like, no question about it. <laughs> right? Like, the blanket, there will, be, there will be a black eye given out if you touch my blanket. Just, just, like, objects can just cause total, like, falling out. Right? So, I don't value things correctly. Number three, he says, I reasoned as a child. I had a thinking which did not connect cause and effect. And my premise and conclusions about life was all wrong. Children don't, don't reason like children don't Children don't say, well, I did this and that's why this is happening. Right? So like, if you, and yeah, kids don't connect the two. Your kid can misbehave, get grounded, get disciplined or whatever, and you have to, like, explain to them. And you've seen parents do this. Do you know why <laughs> you're being chained to the chair? <laughs> right? So the, the reasoning is off. They're, and the kid's like, no, I don't get it. I don't understand. And Paul says, when I was a child, I spake as a child. I had sentiments and opinions that were childish. And I reasoned. He said, but when I became a man, my speech, my thought, my reasoning, I understood why I lost that job. I saw the cause. I saw the effect. My opinion now was that my car was not more important than, than my family. My reasoning, when I, when I became a man, it was not, I, when I became a man, I stopped punching holes in the wall. When I became a man, I started actually talking. Yeah. <laughs> when I became a man, I looked up some words in the dictionary to better express myself. 
When I became a man, I embraced the fact that women speak 20,000 words a day and men 8,000 and I try to catch up. He's still, he's still teaching good. Hallelujah. It's good. Amen. The library closed at six. Praise God. All right. Closing. Things we must leave. These are things we must forsake. First Timothy 5.8. We're going to do a sword drill really quick. I need somebody else to get First Timothy 3.2. And then Ephesians 5.25. Verse 25, verse 28, verse 29. So who has uh, 1 Timothy 5.8? Brother Willoughby. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given the hospitality at the church. All right. So a bishop, and a bishop here can also be deacon. Basically, this is the standard for a leader in the church, but it's obviously also just a good male standard. But here's, here's the standard we're trying to get out of... Uh, uh, is the husband of one wife. And um, there's another translation. In fact, a lot of people say that in the Greek it actually reads a one woman man. Meaning that you're not harboring adulterous thoughts, adulterous feelings, <laughs> adulterous sentiments. And uh, I actually heard somebody the other day that was already married, like telling one of their friends, to look up one of their exes. So like people, when you get married, like you don't, you don't keep in touch with your exes. I don't know if that's like too old school for some folks, but like when you get married, you're not still, you, you dump your ex yeah. on Facebook, on Instagram, on Twitter, on Snapchat, on the cell phone. <laughs> Like, you don't keep these, like, man, I wonder how Shonda's doing. Like, you don't do that. You're like a one-woman man. You don't check up on your ex. You get out of that. You're done. You're, you're a one-woman man. And all the women said amen. All right. Uh, 1 Timothy 3.2. So in order to get a wife, you leave your ex. <laughs> First Timothy 3.2, who's got that? Somebody help me. People, is that what we just read? Oh, First Timothy 5.8. I thought 5.8 was what we just read. Somebody get First Timothy 5.8 then. First Timothy 5.8. That one says, but if any provide not for his own, yeah. and especially for those of his own house, he hath denied the faith. And is worse than an infidel. So why does Paul here say he's worse than an infidel? This is actually kind of good. What the Apostle Paul is saying here is if a man does not provide for his family, he is worse than a pagan, is what he's saying. Why is he saying this? Because there are numerous, and I mean numerous, uh, articles that have been found in antiquity where pagan, even pagan philosophers, non-believers, said things like, it's just natural that a man should take care of his in his own. Right, And so the Apostle Paul says what he's actually really saying in a historical context. He's saying, hey guys, come on, even pagans do this. Even pagan. I don't even know why I'm having to tell a Christian man to take care of his wife. Because even pagans practice this. Right? So you got to leave the broke mentality behind. You got to just do whatever you have to do to provide for your family. And thank God. Thank God that I know of very, very, very few men 
that would not break their back. And even, I, just about all of us, every man I know would even do the tax signs if they had to, to, to feed their wife, right? So, praise God. God bless all you good men. Ephesians 5, 25, 28, and 29. Who's got that? Twenty-eight and twenty-nine. Oh, oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sorry. Okay. And gave himself for it. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, even as the Lord the church. All right. This is probably going to be the, one of the more stranger things you ever hear me say. The Apostle Paul here says that a man ought to love his wife. Notice it doesn't now he's not talking about children anymore. He says a man ought to love his wife even as Christ loved the church. He said no man, um, he should even love himself, his wife as he loves his own body. No man hates his own body. And what he's mean, he means there is like whatever you would do for yourself, you should do it without question for your wife. Amen. Right? And, uh, but... Additionally, I'll never forget, and I'm closing here. I'll never forget one day I was listening to the radio. I was like shocked, but it really, like, I was, I had never heard this, but it really resonated with me. And there was a man, there was a couple, the wife was out jogging one day, perfectly healthy woman. She had a stroke. And the only reason they found her was because she had like a, a pedometer on that could actually be like GPS. She, she like, well, they couldn't find her for a few hours, so they, they were able to track the predometer. She was, like, out in the middle of a field somewhere. She had a stroke, and um, she became totally ambulant. She could, like, no, no movement in her body. Um, she had multiple brain surgeries, and one day, uh, the husband and the daughter were in the hospital, and he said, sweetheart, he said, uh, mommy wants to see you. And the daughter said, uh, I don't want to see mama. She, she's, and the daughter was just being a child. She said, I'm, she scares me because mom had tubes and, and, um, and the dad said, you're going to go see mama or you're going to get in trouble. And, and the man, they interviewed him and he forced his daughter to go see the mom. And, and he later said this, he said, you know, I made it very clear to my daughter that day. I love you, but I love mama more. And we are going to do whatever mama wants. Because there's going to come a day when you're going to grow up and you're not going to be here. <laughs> you're going to, today you step on our feet, right? But tomorrow you'll step on our hearts. But, but he made it very clear to his child, I love your mother. Me and your mother come first here. Our relationship here is, is number one. Is number one. And then you are the result of this relationship. You are the product of this relationship. You are going to honor your mother. You are going to honor me. But, but I, I believe really that this is what the Apostle Paul is getting at. Is men, love your wives more than anything. And in fact, he says, the highest thing I can compare it to is Christ's love for the church. And he gave his life for it. This is a true story. A week before I got married, I was sitting in my room listening to a preaching tape. And I remember God spoke to me and said, you're going to have to love Jamie 
more than you love preaching. And if, and if, and if this ministry ever gets in the way of your marriage, then the ministry has to end. Not your marriage. And me and my wife have had this discussion several times. And, I've, and I always tell her, I, I remind her all the time, like if this is too much for us, then we stop this and we, we, we focus on our marriage. And I have to be careful that I'm never doting over my daughters and like not doting over my wife. Because it's easy. This happens in every marriage. You're just like, man, you're always hugging the kids. Can I get a hug? You know, and, and man, how, you know, man, you gave him a piece of pizza. Can I get one? You know, it's like there's these feelings. Come on, everybody. Don't get quiet on me. Hallelujah. You married folks. You can say whatever you want. This is, this is how life really plays out. And you could see that these parental relationships get off balance because a husband might be giving a kid more attention. He might be all into his son's life and whatever, da da da, or his little cute daughter to the to the ne- to the negligence of his wife. That is not okay. <laughs> he can't do that. He loves his wife because he will live with his wife. He will die with his wife. His wife will be there when he has a stroke and. His wife will be loving him when he has no more teeth. And my daughter's about to knock herself out. Hallelujah, please go. But we don't, we don't. And I know that that sounds strange to some people. Some people think it's not a love competition. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. But I have seen it. I have seen it. And I've, I've witnessed it to where in my own life that it, it's, it's possible to, to not properly disseminate and spread out your love. And I've seen it. I'm, I'm not blind. You know, you have women that they're just like, their children are like little dolls and little princes and mom spends three hours on like fixing the hair and like, you know, the kid just looks like an American girl, like animated figure and, and like the husband can't, can't get a warm meal, you know, like not cool or a hug or whatever or a background, whatever, you know. Whatever thing. And and I've seen vice versa. But let's remember. Let's remember how the kids came into existence. <laughs> let's remember who pays for the for the dress and the, the shoes and let's remember who fixes the hair. And let's let's remember let's remember what sustains the children. Let's remember what brought the children in. And let's it's not a it, it is a hierarchical thing at the end of the day. You do put your spouse first. And and you put your spouse above your friends. And you put your spouse above everything else. Amen. Put my spouse above my job. I put my spouse, I, I as the, the pastor, I put the spouse, my spouse above my pastor. I have to. And I laid down my life. And I laid down my life. So that's it. That's it for tonight. Let's stand. <laughs>